Welcome to The Foundry, where leaders are forged daily. Each week, we investigate themes of leadership, entrepreneurship, and mindset with some of the greatest minds in real estate. And now, the data scientist of real estate, George Roberts. All right, welcome back, entrepreneurs. Again, uh, we return with Charles Carrillo, founder of Harborside Partners, real estate syndication firm. We're going to talk more about multifamily. We're going to talk about his podcast, and we're going to talk about some uh, interesting things about Charles, uh, some fun facts, including the fact that it looks like you've traveled to 40 countries and seen 47 U.S. states. So the first thing I want to do, I want to make sure that we start, we got to roll with some multifamily here. I understand that you have self-managed your properties and talk about an adventure. <laughs> wow. What, what are some of the pros and cons of managing your own properties? Uh, the pros are um, learning the business from the inside out. I mean, um, if a, you partner with someone now that's really never self-managed properties or any part of like that, there might be, unless they've not been done, doing it for many years, you there might be like a little bit of uh, experience gap there. With someone that's self-managed and they know exactly when a, when your property manager comes to you and tells you about a problem that's happening with the properties, you know exactly what's going on. Um, all the times I've collected rent, all times knocking doors, people not paying rent, letting contractors in and out, all these things, um, dealing with uh, your attorneys directly with the evictions, talking to new tenants um, on the phone, talking to them face-to-face, -face, getting applications, uh, getting leases, and you really learn the whole business inside and out. And I think that's I did a little longer than you should have. I did it for six years, but it was something that uh, I think it's a great, even if it's on a small scale, even if you're just house hacking or you have a duplex or something around the corner that you're renting out, whatever it might be, um, it teaches you about um, how to really deal with people, uh, deal with contractors. And um, depending on the class of property you are in, I mean, it can be quite the experience. You know what I mean? Um, once you get down in C-class and obviously I've never owned D-class properties myself, but C-class properties, I mean, it... Um, it's, it's management intensive. That's good. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I had wondered uh, after the exposure to Class D properties, did you ever dip your toe in the water? So I guess the, the answer mm -hmm. is no. I, I did have, did, still do have one. It, uh, it was quite a project. Turned it around. If you think that turning a Class C property around is a lot of work, try Class D. <laughs> but uh, I have to say that uh, the most important thing is, is that if you can get into a new asset class, or even a new class of the current asset class you're in, and you get out without a haircut, I think that's that's a good thing. But yeah, definitely. I tried it once. I don't think I'll ever try it again. And again, hey, we're, we're still at halftime right now, cash flowing. And you know, I might even make a lot of money on this thing. But uh, yeah, don't don't think I'm going to go and do that again. But I'm glad you mentioned the horror stories because that's exactly where I was going. I Every time I hear somebody that self-managed properties. I want to hear the tenant horror stories. Do you have any that that are, is there any news that's fit to print, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, some of them stories are probably not um, not rating for this podcast, but- Yeah, put your, put your hands over your children's ears if they're listening. <laughs> no, uh, but for some other ones that uh, are a little bit more um, PC, I guess I, go in, I went um, 
lease stations before and went through mug books and try to find tenants or it's usually like the boyfriends of tenants that you had living there um, that obviously don't on the lease. They come in afterwards. Uh, so that's something if you're self-managing or any type of thing, if someone pops in afterwards, make sure you're getting a lease on them uh, and an application background check. But it was one of the things is that going through mug books, trying to locate the person that was in one of the properties that apparently was like a felon uh, and was wanted too, not just a felon was actually wanted. So that was one of them. Every cash for keys episode is something different. You know what I mean? And cash for keys is when someone is behind on their rent. And instead of going through, especially I self-manage these properties in Connecticut, which is let's say less than landlord friendly. And um, you don't want to go through that whole process. And I don't want to make, uh, put my attorney's kids through more of college. So it's something where I will actually go to the door and tell them, hey, what can we do? Like, how, how much do we have to give you if you leave by this certain day? And they'll come back and tell you a number. And that number is usually less than what you're willing to pay them because you're on a hassle factor type thing and you know exactly what it costs. And, um, and then give them a little bit of extra money. Tell them I'll pay you extra if you're out by this date. And usually they'll do that. And if you're an honest, if you're an honest landlord, I've never had anybody trust me to do it. And I did it every time. You know what I mean? Just make sure it's broom clean and we're all set. And I kind of walk the apartment, make sure everything's fine. Like 30 seconds, there's not like, you know, a chair through a wall. And then uh, you give them that okay. And, um, but that was every, I mean, everything. That's just uh, one of the situations too, that would always happen. But I, I've never really had massive like in my properties my dad had a lot worse where his tires get slashed his side view mirrors would get broken and that's the joys of d-class properties with c-class properties when i self-manage i heard from a couple tenants that they told me that was the best landlord they ever had and i don't know what that means in the sense of i don't know if my investors would probably want to hear that if i did have investors at that point but i think it's just being like fair and i had this i had a business acquaintance years back um who I guess also moonlighted as a bookie. And he would tell me how he, when he paid people, if they won the first week, he'd pay him. And he goes, hey, when you owe me money, it comes back just like this, like right away on Tuesday. You know what I mean? And I think the same thing is when you're working with tenants, it's the same situation where like they call you after moving in. Hey, my furnace went out, blah, blah, blah. Or my hot water just went out. And you have it fixed within you know 12 hours, whatever it is, a brand new thing stuck in there, everything's all set. And it's kind of like, hey, you know, like this is how I operate. Like my credit has been, you know, here. And this is kind of how I want, you know, rent to be paid on time as well. You know what I mean? I take care of my part of the bargain that we signed on. Remember that paper before? And you take care of the other part. And I think just being fair with people and as you get down in property classes, um, the lease matters less and it's much more negotiation on a more monthly type situation. When you're in B class and A class, those people, they're credit tenants, they have credit, they sign a contract, they'll usually pay it. They're usually less of an issue. When you're getting into lower class properties, that's when rent's late. That's when you you work out on a more normal of a basis, payment plans with people to pay late and stuff like this. And that's when the stories come the day that rent's due at five o'clock. And that's when people are calling you and trying to, you know what I mean? Telling you the story. And um, I think working with people, um, because if you don't work with people in the lower class properties, you'll never get paid. That's just how it is. I mean, if you have a policy where you have to pay 100% by the due date in a C minus or D class, you you might as well just give it back to the bank because you'll never make a dollar. So it's like you have to balance being a landlord, a payday lender, a therapist, you know, <laughs> I mean, all in one when you're, but it can be done. I mean, it can be done there. I mean, everybody's a human, you know what I mean? So it's one of those things where it's like, you try to work with them 
and be like, listen, I can I'll work with you on this if it's a true problem. But, you know, you got to start off that payment plan today and uh, we got to work on it every Friday. And once Friday gets missed, you know what I mean? Then we are back to where we started and um, that's going to start the eviction. You know what I mean? And I think just being fair with people, being honest with people and, you know, that's kind of how it is. It's one thing I always had when I self-manage was that never would tell people, but I would always like waive the first late fee. And some people got it. Some people didn't. And that was just one thing I had. And I was like, all right, this is like one and only time. Everything after this, if you're a day late, you have to pay it. And I think just being fair with people, and I think they really respect that, especially people that are in those. I mean, C-class tenants have less than $1,000 in savings. So, I mean, they're they're day-to-day. -day, you know what I mean? They're week-to-week. -week, they're paycheck-to-paycheck -paycheck, uh, people. And most of them are very good. So trying to work with people to make everything work out. Yeah, amazing. Now I'm trying to think if I should tell my landlord stories because I've got some good ones. And I, I've even got some property management stories that come to me secondhand that are just terrible. But uh, but why don't I do it? I'll tell you tell you one terrible story. So if you guys want one more, heard this this week, went to an exchangers meeting by my house. By the way, if you've never been to an exchangers meeting, it's really exciting. Some super high level people. Well, guy tells a story about how uh, he knew he knew a landlord had to kick out a tenant. I uh, says, "Well, you want to kick her out?" He's like, "No, I don't. She's she's good. She pays all the time." Well, what 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 happened? Well, turns out that she had a boyfriend over. Well, old boyfriend comes, shots fired. One bleeds out on the carpet. Other one bleeds out on the porch. And you know, problem. You know, the the the, the living room. It smells like a dead body. So he's like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, she can't pay to, to you know, to, to get that remediated and all that. And he says, listen, I know all the chemicals. I know what you're going to do. Just rip out the carpet. You throw this chemical down and then uh, you charge her $100 a month. Just add it to the rents. And then somebody asks, like, well, why are you adding it to, to the rent? Like, like, it's not her fault. It's like, yeah, yeah. As a landlord, I am responsible for maintenance. Okay. You, you invite these guys to the party and... Uh, you know, something happens like that's, that's not, that's not part of, I mean, I don't know what state you're in, ladies and gentlemen, not that you go check your laws, consult your lawyer, but he said, I am not responsible for that. So he, yeah, so he did, he kept her, she, she paid on time every month and just, she couldn't pay one lump sum, but she could, she could pay an extra hundred dollars a month, but yeah, terrible story. Yeah. It's very difficult, very difficult dealing with tenants. As you said, you're the counselor, payday lender, everything. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's funny, you know, they 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 often have trouble paying their rent, but they never seem to have trouble uh restocking their cannabis if you if you walk through some of these units. So it depends, you know, if you got C minus uh properties, you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, terrible, terrible stuff. And yeah, it does take a certain person that can deal with those rougher properties. Real estate, I think it's it's something, it's, it's a place where I think there's a lot of bad advice going around, and I think there's a lot of people making some really, really big mistakes. What would you say that is the biggest mistake that you see real estate investors making? I think not having proper reserves when they buy property. And this is something, you know, this is something that you got to have your reserves. You got to have when you're buying property, everybody always looks at, okay, what's it going to cost me to get into it, right? It's like they're buying a car or something and it's brand new and there's never going to be any issues. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're buying a property um, every property you buy, there's going to be something that you have to fix on it or that you need to fix, especially with rental properties. You're not going to have like, oh, it's a turnkey rental property from this landlord and people are paying this. You're going to go in there. There's going to be things that need to be fixed, no matter how great it looks. You got to put that money aside, know what they are, put that money aside 
add 15, 20% to it because you're off and then have six months of your expenses put to the bank. Savings account, perfectly fine. And it gives you a little bit of breathing room because, uh, you know, when we're going in these properties, the thing we always talk about, the value add is really we're going in these properties, we're disrupting them a little bit by changing tenants, upgrading things. That's going to make your income uh, a little volatile in the beginning. You know what I mean? Depending on the size of the property, it could be could be six months, it could be could be two years, you know what I mean? Depending on what you're doing and how many tenants you have. And so always having those reserves is the big thing, I think. So I love that. I love an answer that's not only true, but timely. People are going through a lot of troubles right now. Having reserves is the best thing you can do. I used to hear people say, just don't over leverage. Well, yeah, that's something that's, uh, you know, lately uh, has, has really been taken care of. You got these <laughs> compressed cap rates, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, really now it's all about that debt service coverage ratio that's that's constraining people. And you've you've got really, really low loan to values. But you know what? No matter the time frame, it's always good to have that money on the side. It's a, I would say it's a hundred times better than reducing the loan to value. And yeah, another mistake I see people making, it, maybe you see it too, is uh, they'll bring underwriting to me and I'll ask, why did you include this as your reserves? Well, it turns the cell green. You know, having a rule like, for example, that you want to have six months, and it's a very solid rule there, six months of expenses socked away. That way, when you get in there and you find out that, you know, maybe occupancy wasn't exactly what you thought it was. I mean, hope you're doing knocking on every door and doing an actual lease survey, et cetera, lease audit. But you find out that things are not exactly what you expected or the economy takes a slide. You know, it's it's huge to be able to know that you can pay a half year's expenses before you are in any sort of trouble at all. So yeah, great, great, great rules. Maybe we'll take a little bit of a turn because I want people to get to know you a little more deeply. And now that we've talked about everything, we talked about multifamily, passive investing, we've talked about you know different types of passive investing, angel investing. So I understand you're an Eagle Scout, and I'd like to ask you, what are some of the lessons you learned from scouting that you apply to your business today? I think it's uh, it's not it's the persistence, right? It's the not quitting. It's um, that was I mean I think it's I don't know the numbers with Eagle Scouts, but it's less than 2%, less than 1% of Boy Scouts become Eagle Scouts, something like that. And um, I think it's uh, it's something where you make the decision to do something and um, you see it through to the end. And it's uh, it's it's an important thing. And especially in today's, like um, with everything today, with everything is so immediate than it was even 10 years or 20 years ago. I mean, how technology has kind of moved everything along and it's instant gratification. And I think it's even more important today that, um, you know, people do something for a little bit, it doesn't work out and now they're onto something else. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's, um, if you keep in contact with anybody from any type of, um, event you go to or conference you go to, uh, it'll be funny. You know, you follow up with somebody uh, a year, two years later, you pick 10 people and you know, you have a good chunk of those people that are completely onto something else. You know what I mean? And you're like, yeah. are you doing real estate? Oh no, no, that was like, that was like three years ago. Like I'm like, you know, like crypto exchange, you know, so whatever else is today. You know what I mean? Um, you know, so it's staying with something because um when people hit like a little bit of adversity, that's when they change focus, they go to something else. And that's why most people, um, especially with their own businesses, they don't they aren't successful. I love it. I've learned a lot of lessons from scouting too. I think number one for me would be just to leave things better than you find them. Yeah. I think that's an outstanding rule. 
Uh, my kids are in scouting too. We do trail life in this house and working with my older son right now on the flag badge, uh, working on getting the younger son back into it. Uh, he got into video games and learning languages, which you know, at least the learning languages part is great, but <laughs> there are certain lessons that you're only going to get by going outdoors and uh, really just facing facing yourself, confronting yourself. And I think the outdoors is a great way to do it. Also be prepared. That's a great one too. The whole motto. Oh yeah. That, that's course, like the most yeah, important. That's so. what we're all talking about. Yeah. Uh, if, if, if people know anything about scouting, <laughs> yeah, number one scouting joke. All right. <laughs> All right, great. Well, here, let's add a little randomness in here. I like to do this at the end of the show or towards the end of the show. Uh, I flip a coin and if it lands heads, then I'll ask you a very serious question. Otherwise, uh, tails, uh, just something fluff, something fun. Okay. So. All right, here. Ah, I can't show you. Look at that. The evidence it has been lost here. So yeah, tails, tails. Okay. So just, just something fun. I want to hear about Harborside Partners, what's behind the name? I'm a pleasure sailor. Love to sail a lake here. I'm curious if if there's some sailing behind that or is, or is it more your location? Yeah, that was one of my first merit badges. Uh, I took it summer camp in Connecticut on the lake there, um, was sailing. Um, that was actually, it's kind of funny. I never really thought about how it is. I just, I was, when I was finding the name uh, in 2014, um, I was looking for something that was, that could be used for a private equity firm. And um, I came across it and um, I've lived by the water all the time since living in Florida, lived on the water, like uh, up by Palm Beach before. And then over, uh, I moved to where my now wife was um, in St. Pete. We were living there for a few years, but I was also part of the sailing club in St. Pete. And that was one of the things I actually gave up to, I love going to that sailing club every week, going sailing. And I kind of gave that up when I went full into real estate and uh sacrifice, let's say for the short term. But, um, it is, uh, yeah, sailing was a great hobby having it over, um, in, uh, in Tampa Bay. And, uh, I spent more time there, uh, lately doing that. It's beautiful. I'd love to sail Florida, Caribbean, uh, sailing is very different out here in Michigan, no salt, no sharks, no worries, but <laughs> we get five months if we're lucky. And today it's so cold. If you watching the video edition, I think it was late in the uh, part one of this episode. You saw me uh, very, uh, at least it's just strictly I kind of try not to sneeze. It would have been very, very loud. <laughs> Def definitely have to edit that out. Whew. Blow you away. Yeah, I think it's about uh, definitely single digits today. Okay, well, just before we head into our signature lightning round, the seven. I just wanted to ask you about that travel because I noticed on your resume, I think that's just fascinating. You've been to, I think, 40 countries and 47 U.S. states. What are some of the highlights? I love traveling. My parents were huge travelers. So every um, every break we got from school, we were driving somewhere um, and uh, going somewhere new. And uh, that kind of stayed with me. And um, one of my, as we were saying, like non-negotiables earlier on and when the, in the previous episode is was uh, the the ability of, you know, working remotely, you know what I mean? And being able to be location independent. And when I was running full time, my pain processing company, we were doing a lot of work with um, banks and partners and uh, clients that were in Europe. So I would spend, uh, this is obviously prior to, to marriage, spending a couple months a year in Europe. And it was something that, uh, it was great. It was, uh, I got to travel many different countries. And, uh, you know, over there, and you're you're putting down states, like you're over here, like you're putting down states, you're putting down countries over there. So able to go to different countries, um, 
And uh, just interesting how everything was different. You know what I mean? Everything had their own little, every, every place has a little different, uh, still similar uh, when, you know, go region to region, but um, it's great to meet different people and have different experiences of how different people live their lives. Yeah, beautiful. So I'm just going to go on a limb. It sounds like you, you spent quite a bit of time over there. Are you doing uh, slow travel or, or is yeah. this all just like rushing around, seeing the sights and flying back? Uh, if I would go like, um, I used to go like meet clients and um, I would I would kind of put everything together in like two months or three months at a time. And it would be like, I would go for, I would go for like a week or two to different places. And, you know, you probably see your client, you know, seeing client like one or two times, you know what I mean? Something like this, but you could go and you could really experience, um, you know, walk in the cities and history and kind of in some of the cities, maybe I think when Americans uh, are going over to Europe, they're hitting like London, Paris, uh, a couple of places in Italy. Um, but getting into, I did a lot of traveling in Eastern Europe. So that was great everywhere from like Serbia to Latvia and Estonia, like all, all over. And it was just something that was, um, you go to these little towns that people had never been to that you knew, you know what I mean? And you didn't really think there's much history here because it's not on the the hot list of where people travel to usually, but you learn all different things um, and you um, some of the things I've picked up from my travel, um, you know, foods and uh, everything else, you know, uh, that you might not have when you're back here in the United States, whereas in certain countries like uh, Italy, for example, their coffee. So it's something it's just, I mean, that thing just sticks with you. You know what I mean? We spend so much time over there. I'm, um, I have dual citizenship as an Italian. So it's something that uh, I do over there and I can spend more time in the European Union. So it's pretty great. All right. Great. We'll love it. Yeah. My wife's Italian. So my kids speak Italian and uh, nice. we'd love to get out there sometime. But yeah, I mean, for me, I love the idea of slow travel. would love to try that. love to go and live someplace for a month, get an apartment and really experience the culture, understand the place that I'm at, not just zip, zip, zip around, but sounds like some very, very exciting travel that you've done. And so happy you shared that with us. But I think we need to head into our lightning round, the seven. So all right, what do you say, Charles? You ready? Let's do it. All right, let's hit it here. If you could be known for only one thing, Charles, what would that be? I would say honesty. What is the greatest lesson in leadership you've learned as an entrepreneur? Hiring people that know more than you. What personal characteristic has been most pivotal to your success? Learning to listen. <laughs> I love it. Not an easy one either. Okay, let's add just a little more randomness here. These are my random question cards. Could be anything from the prosaic to the profound. Just tell me when to stop cutting the deck. Perfect. Okay, great. Yeah, where I dropped it. <laughs> All right. What is your proudest accomplishment? I think uh, renovating my first um, commercial property. You know, it was just uh, took it from completely vacant to renovate the whole thing, had it fully rented out in about 100 days. What is one tip or trick that investors can implement in their business today? I think having uh, long-term goals narrowed down and uh, to a daily and weekly goal and knowing exactly what that is. Name a book that's helped to forge you as a leader and or as an entrepreneur and tell us why. 
I would say 80-20 principle. I think it was um, no matter what you do, if you're not, a, if you're uh, whatever you do for work, whatever you are, I mean, 80-20 principle will help you personally and professionally. It's a easy read. It's a very simple principle. And uh, you, when you think about it, you close the book and you think about it, you'll be amazed of how many things fit into that you know, even if it's 95, five or 75, 25, uh, something that is not yeah. where you put the effort in and get it right back out. Love it. And you just sent us out with a quote to help forge our listeners as leaders and entrepreneurs. So one of my uh, favorite quotes, and I know you as being a sailor, I would say it's from Jim Rohn and it's not the winds of change that blow on us that will determine where we end up. It's a set of sail. Beautiful. One of my favorites as well. And I just want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to reach out to you. So if you're interested in learning more about Charles Carrillo, maybe interested in investing, what do you do? Uh, Carrier Pigeon, Smoke Signals, uh, website, email, what, how, how do we reach Charles? Yeah, all of our information is on our website, harborsidepartners.com. So if you go to harborsidepartners.com, um, I have a podcast I put out twice a week there, and I have a YouTube channel. There's a lot of free information for people that are active investors and also passive investors, and we have some um, active investor resources on there as well. So come on in and uh, join our, our newsletter and uh, learn more about investing in multifamily real estate. All right. Well, thank you. And I, I know I did promise that I'd ask you about the podcast and I did want to get to that, but I guess 52 minutes of Charles Carrillo, I'm afraid that's all we can pack into two episodes. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll do one again in the future, but definitely go out and check out that podcast all about investing in the United States for foreign investors. Interesting topic. I know as a syndicator, I'm certainly interested in including foreign investors in my syndications. Not always easy. A lot of legal, uh, legal, legal stuff you're going to need to look into. So definitely uh, want to talk to Charles about that. So uh, with that, I think we'll wrap. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge and experience with our audience. Thank you so much for having me on today, George. My pleasure. Thank you.